Welcome to the party. I'm Sam Ekstrom of Locked On Sports Minnesota. This podcast has now outlasted the Nathaniel Hackett tenure in Denver. Success. I'm Tom Schreier, and on the last show I was on, producer Matt DeBritz criticizing a reef and my background, our Zoom background. When you have facts, you don't need frills. I'm Alec Lewis. I'm not as clever as these other two. The Hackett one was phenomenal, but the last time I was on, I think uh, the Vikings had not won enough games to really feel like they were a good team, and here they are, and they're 12-3, and and um, yeah, we'll have some observations. Arif Hassan, I really like this uh, this method of evaluating how long a podcast lasts. I kind of want to know how many Scaramucci's, how many Liz Trusses, how many heads of lettuce this podcast has lasted. If any listeners know, please let us know in the comments. That's the crew today. It's the Minnesota football party. Endless Vikings talk for the next hour. Locked on Sports Minnesota podcast. It's endless Minnesota Vikings talk with the diverse voices of your local experts. It's time for the Minnesota football party. It's your guys hanging out talking next level Vikings football. So join in with Pro Football Network's Arif Hassan, Locked On Vikings Luke Braun, Superior Sports Talk's Luke Inman, and Vikings insider Sam Ekstrom, plus the biggest names in Minnesota football for the Minnesota football party. And it starts now. Welcome into the Minnesota football party today, everyone. We are Lukeless. No Braun, no Inman. Tom Schreier of Zone Coverage and Alec Lewis of The Athletic fill in. And Arif Hassan, the regular from Pro Football Network, joins us as well. Jam-packed show. We still have to react to Vikings-Giants. It feels like an eternity ago, three days ago, with Christmas in between. We'll talk about that and turn our eye towards the Packers. Can the Vikings and the Packers playoff hopes on Sunday. We'll, of course, get into that. We've got nerdy stats of the day. And are there any narratives that you would like to debunk about the 2022 Minnesota Vikings? We'll give everybody that opportunity as well. Before we hit this discussion, let me remind people that Amazon Fire and Roku are terrific ways to consume our show. If you got a new TV for Christmas, you can fire us up on your smart TV, Amazon Fire or Roku, or the YouTube app. Find us on Lockdown Sports Minnesota. Uh, where you can get all of our shows on video and we're free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Well, uh, Tom and Alec, I'll give you guys sort of the first crack at this. Vikings-Giants on Saturday. It ends in a team record 61-yard field goal by Greg Joseph, and the Vikings are 12-3. and Tom, I'll let you go first. Major takeaway from Vikings-Giants. What do you got? I don't know. I should have at some point thought the Vikings were going to lose, but I didn't. I know that they, the Giants came back, tied at 24-24. I know the defense still, still looked bad. I still don't know if I fully trust Greg Joseph, but in the moment, they've convinced everyone. As long as it's close, they're going to win. <laughs> Alec. Yeah, I think my major takeaway is about Greg Joseph. I mean, look, it's not the sexiest thing to talk about <laughs> – kickers in this league on podcasts like these but I mean I think in the early half of this season there were a lot of of questions about Greg Joseph he missed I believe five extra points um he he missed multiple field goals 50 yards plus he he is has been really good of late and that was kind of the cherry on top at 61 yard to what he's done and again it's not the sexiest thing to talk about but as this thing drifts towards the playoffs and and 
this Vikings team needs as much juice as possible to beat uh, teams in the NFC. They're going to need a reliable kicker. And so I just think the fact that you have this guy who might be able to build off a big confidence boost like that, I, I think is, is something that is really positive, um, both for him, for this Vikings team, and a fan base that has been tormented by this position for way too long. Actually, it's very sexy to talk about kickers on a podcast like this, Alex. Oh, don't yeah. Tell yeah. yourself short. Yeah. I'm sorry. Arif, you've been around the market for long enough now that I think you know the kicker sell. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think my takeaway is actually uh, kind of the opposite of times. It doesn't actually disagree with his, but I think it's that the Vikings are now a blitzing team. They, they played a lot more main coverage than they ever have all year. They blitzed a lot more, and it was a lot more effective. In fact, over the last two weeks, wait, that's a nerdy stat of the day. I'm going to save that one. I've got an appetizer for nerdy stat of the day as well. The Vikings, in their last eight home games, so we're conveniently throwing out Green Bay, so it doesn't really count, but in their last eight home games, the Vikings have a 7-1 and record and an even point differential. <laughs> Isn't that the story of their season? Oh, 100%. Um, they are. It's, it, yeah, and, and I do wonder if that Cowboys loss had been just like a 24-21 loss, how differently we would view this team. Um, but digressing, Vikings-Giants, I walk away like with an increasing amount of respect for the amount of times Kirk Cousins gets hit and keeps getting back up seemingly like the only thing that that happens when he gets hit is he turns to the official and says, Hey, you see that? You see that low hit, throw the flag, yep. see that helmet to helmet, throw the flag. He's as he's getting hit in bone crushing fashion, he's petitioning for penalty yards. Throwing the flag as he's falling to the ground. It's I mean, all the, all the greats do it. Mahomes does it. Yeah. Brady does it. And now we can add cousins to that esteemed list. He he really is wearing some crazy armor, um, and he's this got the second most pressures against him in the NFL. Uh, pressure rate is higher than last year's, like thirty seven percent, one of the ten highest in the league. He's taking an enormous amount of hits. He's facing blitzes in key third downs, and he's throwing dimes. And he mixes that in with some really head scratching throws like throughout the game where he misses open receivers. Uh, he throws too high. He throws interceptable screen passes. And yet when the rubber meets the road, he's doing all the right things. Um, what, how did you guys feel walking away from that game about the, the first round matchup? Would you want, if you're a Vikings fan, would you want the Giants again? Or would you rather go in a different direction? Back around the circle, Tom, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm inclined to think, like, Washington, because I was like, at least that game was there, played on crabgrass. Like, what if it was played on actual, you know, mm -hmm. a real playing surface, you know, in Minneapolis? I mean, Washington qualifies. I don't know. It's probably still their their best option. I, I can't imagine that's the best the Vikings can play them. Uh, having said that, the first-round matchup is going to be interesting because uh, the Vikings really don't put anyone away. Yeah, they sneak by the Giants at home. They sneak by Washington on the road. Alec, any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I think the Giants would be the optimal matchup. I, I do because I, I don't believe their receiving core is going to test your secondary to a crazy level. And then I also think their secondary is going to leave some stuff to be desired on the offensive end for a receiving core that the Viking, that with, for the Vikings that has shown consistently to be pretty dangerous when they need them most. So I, I just I think the Giants, even with their exotic blitzing of Wink, Wink Martindale, I, 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 they don't scare me as much as that Washington front. And then 
the Lions offense and what Ben Johnson's done is pretty scary. And then the Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers are who they are. So um, the Giants would, if, if I was picking, I'd that, that's probably the way I'd go. Arif, does Carson Wentz mm-hmm. on the Commanders influence how you view them? I know you're a big Carson Wentz guy. Uh, I I am a I'm a big react to Carson Wentz guy. That is accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I think uh, I think just even having Carson Wentz on the team is bad mojo. I don't know. Um, you know the Eagles were able to overcome it. You know, being in, the Commanders in, is bad mojo already. Oh yeah, no, there's it's they're piling it on top, right? I I mean, okay. As an aside, I know this is not the topic of the podcast, but you know that they're getting sued by like their for, like the former Hogs, right? Like the offensive line and running back that composed you know that that famed uh, you know Washington offensive line. Um, they're getting sued for doing brand damage to the hogs identity, which they have now formed a company to hold the likeness of so that they can sue Dan Snyder. Incredible stuff. Really good evidence of just terrible mojo. Right. Um, I, yeah, I, I think that, you know, going up against like, so the Vikings obviously as a playoff team just have tremendously poor luck. Right. I think one way to overcome that is to be against a team so karmically poisoned as Washington. And just adding Carson Wentz to that mix is just, I think that would really help uh, in, in that regard. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. Sure. Um, I think I would lean <laughs> giants. Sure. And, he, and here's why. I, I just don't want to tempt fate with an unbelievable defensive line ruining the day for, for Kirk Cousins. Um, I don't think the Giants' defense is really that strong. I think they're extremely flappable. Um, they were 26 entering that game in yards allowed. Their skill players, that was the secret sauce that decided that game. Like the Vikings receivers made unbelievable plays, and the Giants dropped key passes and key spots. Like that was an enormous difference in the game. And the one guy... That could hurt you. Saquon Barkley had a fine game, and they got no other help. Um, I think Washington, regardless of quarterback, there's enough around them to support them where I could see them like staying in the game uh, longer than the Giants. But like you said, Tom, the Vikings don't put anyone away, so it's hard to be super confident about any particular matchup. And one of those key players for the Vikings was TJ Hawkinson, career day. Um, I, love, I love the contrast between the tight end trade last year. This is before your time, Alec, but the Vikings traded for a gentleman by the name of Chris Herndon, thinking that he was going to be the magic behind Tyler Conklin when Irv Smith got hurt. And Chris Herndon's final stat line was four receptions for 40 yards and one touchdown. I think he might've had more penalty yardage than receiving yardage. But this year, TJ Hawkinson has been unbelievable from the time coming into Minnesota. Um, Arif, can you really understate the impact that TJ Hawkinson has had on this passing game? 
It is. It is. It's pretty tremendous in a couple of ways. But before that, one note about Chris Herndon. On the same day, they acquired Ben Ellison off of waivers, and mm-hmm. and Ellison immediately outsnapped Herndon. I don't think there was a single game where Herndon had more snaps than Ellison, and certainly there were many games where Herndon had no snaps and Ellison had at least twenty. So, uh, as much as I hate to give credit to NDSU, there you go, Ben Ellison. Good job learning the playbook as quickly as you should have. Uh, now, as for TJ Hawkinson, uh, so so obviously he's like his his yardage capability is important. He was already averaging fifty six yards a game with the Lions, which is his highest in yards per game, despite the fact that the Lions were passing the least before the Vikings traded for him. Now his yardage with the Vikings has been pretty tremendous. I think he actually just because of this Giants game exceeded fifty six yards a game with the Vikings. Either way, the fact that he can not only produce between the twenties but is a red zone target again, he's a little bit up and down in the red zone as a target, but he is a red zone target. Um, that has its own effect, right? Having that secondary receiver is important, but really what's important is how it enables Justin Jefferson and what they do with play design with TJ Hawkinson in there. Now with Hawkinson, they're running a lot more intermediate routes that pushes Jefferson further up the field. His average yards per target has, or uh, air yards on targets has increased three to five yards as a result of Hawkinson being in the game. And it has resulted in more deep throws for Jefferson. We know Jefferson can win at every level of the field. He's effective at every level of the field, but deep throws are more valuable. So having him be equally effective deep versus equally effective intermediate, you'd rather have him just go deep and still have that intermediate threat available to you with somebody like Hawkinson who has the ability to pull a safety down. And he's actually got a career low with the Vikings at 8.5 yards per reception. He's working more of the underneaths, opening it up downfield for the other receivers. And it makes sense when you consider that he was like the guy in Detroit last yeah. year and other years. He was like either the one or two option for the Lions. And now he can really thrive, I think, in sort of a, a pass catcher three type of role. Um, he's like sneaky. He's obviously not the MVP of this team, Alec. But I mean, you would almost put him in like the offensive top three for the impact that he's had since arriving here, right? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. Christian Derisaw's up there as well. I think his impact this yeah. year, Brian O'Neill has kind of gone unsung too, just in terms of his consistency. But but there's no question, you're you're exactly right. And Arif is is spot on. Just Hawkinson's presence uh, kind of just shifts the gravity of where certain people can be on the field. I also thinking about a conversation after the game with Patrick Peterson and he was asked about TJ Hawkinson he's like he just he he can run so many types of routes he can run corner routes he can run over routes he he can lose a safety or lose a linebacker in a way that that most tight ends maybe the Chris Herndon's of the world would not be able to and so um yeah I think TJ Hawkinson and 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 his ability it's um it's pretty interesting and I know I don't want to get too far down the road here, but I, I do think it'll be fascinating if the Vikings get Irv Smith back. Not that Irv's going to supplant TJ Hawkinson, obviously, in the passing game, but I am fascinated to know what they could possibly do with both of those guys on the field in terms of the matchups they could create. It's just something that's in the back of my mind. Uh, Irv has seemed to be progressing week by week. I, I don't mean to shift the conversation there, but I just still think when you talk about the, the cap of this offense and what's possible, that's another level at which an area which this Kevin O'Connell, the staff can tap into. Tom, TJ Hawkinson thoughts? 
Yeah, no, I mean, I think I still think it's incredible that Detroit traded him within the division. I think I guess the only complaint is there's been like two third down drops, right, or something like that. But going to Alex's point, when uh, we asked Patrick Peterson about Hawkinson, he initially called him a receiver and he corrected himself, right? And I think that's like it's almost like in the back of their mind, he is he is functionally part of like you know the the receiver group there and has had to be because Thielen looks like he's slowed down a little bit, whether that's age or, or a lingering knee issue. Um, I really like KJ Osborne, obviously he had a breakout game against Indianapolis, but he's basically been used to open up things for Justin Jefferson. So it's not just like, here's another piece right to the puzzle. He's become an integral part. I think an interesting thing is I think Brian O'Neill said he's run some routes in games before he practiced them because obviously he came over in the middle of the season um, given the nuances of route running and how people talk about like even training camp stuff matters throughout the season. He's just that good. You know, it's, it's incredible what he's doing. I think sometimes we take it for granted because Justin Jefferson's the star and because Hawkinson came in with so many expectations. I put this group on the spot about Justin Jefferson reaching 2000 yards after I tell you about betonline.net, your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. We track all the NFL lines uh, here on this show, particularly the Vikings, who are three and a half point underdogs in Green Bay. You can get that line and plenty more at betonline.net. You can also get bowl season lines. Let's see how the Gophers are stacked up against Syracuse. Nine and a half point favorites in the Pinstripe Bowl. Thursday at one o'clock, over under 41 and a half in New York City. Get all those lines, all the sports. You can also get sports podcasts at Bet Online as well. It's where the game starts. Okay, Justin Jefferson entered the final four games of the season, needing to average 125 to get 2,000. Two games into that stretch, he's doing it. He's just a little ahead of that pace. He went 123, 133. So here's what he needs. He needs 122 per game to get 2,000. He needs 104 per game to match the NFL record set by Calvin Johnson. We'll start with you, Alec. Does he reach either of those milestones? Well, if Joe Barry defends him like he did in week one, he's going to get it in this game. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't expect that to happen. I think the Packers defensive staff will do some different things and probably have some of their better corners uh, matched up with them. But, I mean, I'm not betting against this guy. I just – I mean, I've watched him week after week now. Knew before I started covering this team, he was a really, really impressive player. But he, he does it in every way. It, it, he's it, It's so complete. It's so fascinating. I was thinking last week we were standing next to him in the interview session – and, like, I'm, he's not that much taller than me, and he's not, like, just gigantic, but he – on the field, it's like he, there's, like, another layer of armor and, and, and like, ability to stretch that is hard to even describe. So, he just – he's so capable of doing it in so many different ways, and I, I do think going up against this Packers team and the Bears team specifically – um in the following week I, I i do think he gets there just not i, I just would never bet against this guy at this point a reef what yeah, do you no. think <laughs> sorry <laughs> you're not a reef <laughs> yeah. he wishes, I wanna he be wishes. Yeah. yeah see <laughs> <laughs> no i i think that what was it 244 for 2208 for the record i think that obviously that's entirely possible he can hit 240 in fact he could probably go after uh, you know julio's record which i believe is an even 300 or something like that for a single game uh receiving yardage record but i i, I think that especially against the packers but i think that 
because that is a little less likely than uh, than having to hit it over the course of two games, it really kind of depends on the Eagles, right? Because if the Eagles lose and the Vikings win against the Packers, they have something to play for in week 18, which means that they'll play all the stars probably throughout the entirety of the game. Now, if the Eagles win and take the Vikings out of contention for the first seed, the Vikings have very little to play for. I don't know kind of what the three seed, two seed thing looks like, but I'm pretty confident that the Vikings are probably going to wrap that up with a win here. Um, And if they do, if the two seed is locked in for them, then there's not very much reason for the Vikings to play for a lot. Maybe they'll start all their starters, right? But there's not very much reason for the Vikings to play for a lot. And you might see Justin Jefferson with zero to 50 yards in that final game if they want to rest their starters pretty quickly. So it really depends on whether or not the Eagles don't have the ability to pull out the the rest of their schedule. They've been struggling just a tiny bit in the second half of the season. So it is possible that, you know, the the reason Justin Jefferson doesn't hit 2,000 is because the Vikings have won too many games. I I think you're spot on, Arif, and I'll offer one clarification. The two seed is definitely at stake if San Francisco wins on Sunday because San Francisco owns the tiebreaker. That's right. right. So the Vikings could go into week 18 with 13 wins and still need to win that game to clinch the two seed. And who's going to bet against San Francisco at this point who's won eight in a row and (laughs) six of those eight, 13 or more? Purdy Vadia. It's unbelievable what they're – do they even want Garoppolo back if he gets healthy in the playoffs? That's another big talker <laughs> for San Francisco. Um, but, like, but – So I think – I think – yeah, Brock Lobster. This is a very big conundrum for Kevin O'Connell. What if Justin Jefferson goes for 150 against Green Bay and then they have nothing to play for? So you're talking about needing 60 for the NFL record – and less like 100 for the the 2,000-yard plateau, it is going to be hard to resist playing Justin Jefferson in that game, especially a year after Justin Jefferson got a little you know short-shrifted by Mike Zimmer in the last game against the Bears a year ago. I still think it's coaching malpractice if you put him on the field, and if it's a meaningless situation with the amount of hits that he's taken and the amount of targets yeah. it would require to get him that record, I don't think it's smart. I think you've got to have better judgment there. I mean, ultimately, it's about so much more than that for this team. I think that it might be unpopular. I think you got to sit him. Who, who, raise your hand or speak up for those that are listening. Do you think that they should sit Justin Jefferson if, if, if it's a, a meaningless game? Tom? Let me propose this idea because I am worried that not only about him getting hurt, but like think of how that game went last year where – it was sloppy and you talk about bad playing service and stuff. It just seems like a recipe for disaster. If I'm O'Connell and I know that my relationship with Justin Jefferson is vital to my success as a coach, I said, I'm going to try to get you that yardage within the script. And remember how the script went. I know it was in Minnesota, but in the first game, I'll try to get it within the script. If you don't get it, I got to get you out of there because you can't get hit and blow out your shoulder or a head hit or twist your ankle in the grass. I think that's what I tell them. You get the script. We're going to try to get you the yardage. Get the F out of there after after you got it. Playing surface, definitely a good point, Tom. That's a bad place to play, especially in January 8th. Alec, yeah. your thoughts? Winter. Yeah. You know, the cool thing about this actually is, is Kevin O'Connell and Justin Jefferson have worked in pretty lockstep throughout the course of this entire season. I mean, I think I go back to like that Philadelphia game and Detroit after that, and I remember seeing those two guys on the practice field like really – 
talking about certain things, route running, releases, leverage. I mean, they, they have really worked through, through some stuff this year. And it's, I mean, the fact that he's, he's at this point where we can have this conversation, I think is a testament, obviously, to the guy himself, but also to Kevin O'Connell and, and even Kirk Cousins for, at times, I think, um, being smart with how he's tried to target Justin Jefferson. So all of that is to say, I think the the communication Kevin O'Connell and Justin Jefferson have had all year, I think allows this to, to be a pretty malleable um back and forth and again i don't know how i don't they they have to be smart and justin jefferson's aware enough to know that um it's team over everything but it's it is going to be it's going to be very interesting if he's close and if they don't need to win that game it's a it's a tough one for sure i I will say say that the parlay of eagles win vikings win san-francisco loss that's the only scenario where the game means nothing and that's a fairly unlikely scenario, right? You need three results to go in a certain way. Um, I'm curious how hard they push him, even if it means something. Like if you simply, if the difference in the, a win or loss is the two or three seed, how much do you care about that? Um, how terrified, scale of one to 10, 10 being like you're, you're going to faint on the field or one, you don't care at all. How terrified should you be of losing the two seed and possibly going to San Francisco in round two? Alec, your thoughts? Yeah, not uh, one to ten. I mean, three, four. I'm not terrified. This Vikings team, like, what if you're this Vikings team, you really be terrified of anything? You've overcome time and time (laughs) again in so many different scenarios. So I, I don't know. It's hard for me to be terrified. I think it's. Obviously, it'd be such a pivotal thing to have that game be in Minnesota. So it matters a lot for the the chances at at at, at winning this Super Bowl. If that's what if that's what the hope is, obviously. But I I mean, in the end, you're going to have to beat a good team on the road. I think, regardless, unless to our conversation earlier, the Eagles kind of fall by the wayside these last couple of weeks. So I, I don't know. I mean, you could be terrified, but I, I think it's just it. it it's a give or take. It could happen either way, and, and things will work out. If, if, if you win the yeah. games, you have to. I think I think people just flash back, Tom, to, to the 2019 game where you go there in the divisional round and really didn't have a chance. I mean, that the second half of that game became a laugher. Um, that was a Jimmy Garoppolo-led team, a team that had a phenomenal pass rush and, and resembled the current team a lot, except the, the quarterback's now Brock Purdy. But uh, – I think I'm I'm probably above a five. I, I don't I would not want this team to go on the road and play in a playoff setting against a team that's rattled off at that point like eleven in a row. I'd be fairly terrified. Tom, am I am I too worried about this? Here's what we need to know, Sam. Alec Lewis fears nothing except the cold. Uh, I think <laughs> I think this is I mean, alarms going off. I think San Francisco can uh, <laughs> San Francisco could beat them here. I think they could beat them there. I think it's a similar formula. Uh, just given the coaching acumen of Shanahan, given there's some familiarity. Remember, they had joint practices and stuff. Not like they're stealing secrets, but they'll know how to how to face off against Minnesota, given uh, what pressure can do to Kirk Cousins. And you kind of chop off um, the offense at its head, right? Instead of trying to guard Justin Jefferson, you just try to take out Mm -hmm. Kirk before you can throw it to him. So, um, you know, the only, I mean, here's the thing, the Vikings can probably lose other ways, but the only way they've proven that they can lose this year is that 
teams just stomp them, right? And it, you feel like the formula to stomp them would be San Francisco brings them into their own place in front of their own fans, gets after Kirk Cousins, um, and uh, and just runs the hell out of the ball against the Donatello defense. So I, I think people should be terrified. I'm not saying you can't beat San Francisco. I think it's a lot harder if you have to go into their place and do it. Yeah. Well, Arif's a national writer, so he can tell us, is San Francisco legit? <laughs> uh, yes and no, right? Like, I think that you're probably not going to continue to get this level of play from Brock Purdy. I think that there's probably some solves out there that are on film for him, right? And so you can probably do something to kind of uh, head him off of the pass. Whether or not the Vikings have that ability is, I think, a different question. But I think, uh, you know, there there is something to be said about, like, a team that is so focused and consistent on, you know, yards after the catch. I know that Purdy was able to string together some deep throws in the last couple of weeks, but they are primarily a yards after the catch team. Um, that's kind of like the question, whether or not their offense can kind of make good on what their defense is doing. Their defense has been obviously incredible. Obviously, it's been the engine of, of, the, of, of their winning streak. Um, but, you know, we've seen uh, some some holes open up in their game. Talano Hufunga was playing like one of the best safeties in the first half of the season. Now he's only a top 10 safety. Again, we're looking for like nitpicks here, but uh, it, he is, he's not been as consistent, right, as he was in the first half of the season. You can find some holes in that defense. It is, of course, very hard. You have to deal with somebody like Nick Bosa, who doesn't have any holes in this game. But there are ways to deal with uh, with San Francisco. And I just think not having an offense – uh, is is going to be kind of the reason that San Francisco takes a nosedive if they ever do. So yeah, there are some issues. The thing is, home away. I, I I'm, I'm kind of with Tom on this one. It kind of doesn't matter as much, especially as much as it used to. Um, the bigger issue for me is that the Vikings have built up a lot of fan equity, and that's when they hurt you the most, right? There are an infinite number of ways to lose. The Vikings have explored very few of them this season. So uh, I, I am I am really concerned, and that actually goes all the way back to the Justin Jefferson conversation. Bench him, man. It would be the most Vikings thing ever to lose him right before the playoffs. Absolutely. Don't even – I like Tom's idea of an opening script. Don't even do it. Don't even do it. Just like if, if there's nothing to play for, there's very little to play for, out of here. Yeah, I think that's the sensible way. But I like – I do like the idea, Tom, of a sit-down between the coach and the player – to at least get his take because if he yeah. if he walks in and makes the decision for you and says no coach we've got bigger things to play for well how great is that i mean then everybody's in lockstep um if the coach has to pull back the receiver from playing then you know, maybe there's some hurt feelings there so i think you need to have that dialogue and maybe find some kind of compromise um and it, it also depends how close you are if you need 200 yards don't even try it. Don't, yeah, yeah, yeah. don't tempt fate in that way. If you're 50 yards, maybe there's a conversation to be had. Um, nerdy stat of the day around the corner, but before that, Built Bar. Hopefully, you got a box of Built Bars in your stocking because they had some awesome holiday flavors. White chocolate, peppermint granola, candy cane brownie puff. Hopefully, you have been eating Built Bars like crazy with your family during your holiday celebrations. How good are they? If you discovered Built Bar for the first time, your life has probably been changed. They're the best tasting protein bar ever built. Revolutionizing nutrition as we know it with 100% real chocolate, 17-ish grams of protein, uh, shockingly low sugar and calorie count, like 130 calories. Sink your teeth into that and change your life. No joke. You can get 
built now if you want to try it for the first time get it at a discount 15 percent off your order right now use the promo code locked on 15 at built.com promo code locked on 15 at built.com for 15 percent off nerdy stat of the day the part of the show where we uh dive into our nerddom and deliver our nerdiest stats Let's run it. Analytics fans rejoice. It's time to get educated. Whoa, you're blowing my mind right now. With the nerdy stat of the day. Nerdy stat of the day. I'll even kick it off here and give you guys some time to to sift through. Arif, you can be the anchor leg because you always bring, obviously, your uh, nerdiness last and and you have the best the best nerdy stats so we'll we'll leave you for last um here's mine inspired by ron johnson who had a good nugget this morning on the ron johnson show with uh with chuck foreman by the way so of any quarterback in the nfl with 25 or more pass attempts in the fourth quarter or overtime kirk cousins is first and i clarifier this is on third downs so third downs fourth quarter overtime key downs the most important downs of the game Kirk Cousins is first in passer rating in those situations with a 132.2 with seven touchdowns one pick and a 76 percent completion percentage fourth down sorry fourth quarter third down Kirk Cousins comes through Tommy that's amazing. I'll be honest. I forgot to prepare a stat. I'm like, I'm like Ed Donatello. You can't measure heart. You can't measure. Uh, you can't measure measure want to. All right. I uh, I take after the Donatello um, theory on stats. But I think to your point, like this is what we were wondering about Kirk Cousins. Could he in an offense focused with an offense focused coach? And then you think of like O'Connell talking about like the quieted mind and how he'll talk to him. Which I love the idea of like Kevin O'Connell's soothing voice telling Cousins to calm down. You got this. You know the pre-snap read. You can just throw it to Justin Jefferson if you if you panic or whatever, up until I think you get like 15 seconds before the snap. Um, it's checked out, right? It seems like mission accomplished, at least in terms of kind of maximizing Cousins in a spot where we weren't sure he would come through in the clutch. Alec, bring the nerdiness. Thanks, Sam. Uh, the number is one. <laughs> there is one... One pair of pass rushers on on the same team that rank at the top fifteen of of pass rushers in terms of pressures this season. That's Daniel Hunter and Zadarius Smith. They're the only pair of pass rushers on one team who rank in the top fifteen in terms of pressures. Zadarius Smith is second in the NFL in pressures with seventy eight, I believe. Daniel Hunter is, uh, believe, ninth with sixty two pressures. Um, obviously, when Zadarius Smith was signed, uh, it, it, it was written about often. I, mean, I remember reading Arif, his analysis on Zadarius and Daniil, what could be possible. And um, I think what has happened is, is a, pair, a, a pass rush pairing that um, this team could, could have conceived of. I mean, it's exactly what you would have hoped for. And I think it's going to be important that these two guys really bring it uh, for the Vikings to win games in this next month okay Reef. yeah i think that just building off of that i think that's like a 90th percentile performance in terms of the range of expectations you had for both hunter and smith really fantastic stuff also when you say top 15 and you list hunter as ninth that makes me think that there's another team with two in the top 16 just the way that you cut off that stat <laughs> no there's no question the eagles rank the eagles have two in the top 16. <laughs> 
You probably should have used top 10. I don't know. There was probably a more mathy, nerdy no, way no, to be able to. No, no, top 15 is more impressive. I think that you're right. Yeah. As somebody who con- consistently constructs misleading stacks. I mean, interesting stacks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, okay. So I, I mentioned that. Yeah, the get to yours. Day. Thanks. Yeah, I mentioned that the nerdy side of the day uh, from me would have to do with the Vikings blitz and uh, main coverage rates. So. Uh, for the first uh, 13 or 14 weeks of the season, for the first 14 weeks of the season, the Vikings were 24th in the NFL in blitz rate at 19.2%. And in man coverage, they were 30th in the NFL at 13.5%. That is not a quality statistic. That is just a stylistic statistic. But as the Vikings were not doing very well on defense, you could sense that there would be a need to change. Now, we noticed that the Vikings blitzed a lot more. I think all four of us did blitz a lot more against the Indianapolis Colts. They even mentioned that in the presser afterwards. They happened to continue that against the New York Giants. So for the last two weeks, the Vikings are fourth in the NFL in man coverage rate at 37.2%. Nothing like the Lions or the Dolphins who are both above 50, but 37.2% fourth in the NFL over the last two weeks and ninth in the NFL at 31.4% in blitz rate. The defense seems to have changed in character and style. I think that we're seeing the benefits of that. Obviously, they were able to stymie the the offensive powerhouse that is the Colts, but they were able to do a little bit more <laughs> against the Colts. They were able to do a little bit more against the Giants, and maybe they'll just be a little bit more adaptable. I'm not saying they always have to blitz. They always have to engage in man coverage, but they know that this tool is there in their toolbox. They have coverage corners that are pretty used to man coverage. Duke Shelley, I don't really know what his history is. He seems to be all right in man coverage. Patrick Peterson, historically a man coverage cornerback. So that's something that they might want to fall upon. And knowing that you've got players like Eric Hendricks, who's a pretty good blitzer, Jordan Hicks, who's an even better blitzer, Harrison Smith, who's like a premier blitzer, knowing that you've got those players and you haven't blitzed them that much, you might as well. You might as well find a way to use them in ways that that maximize them. So that's my nerdy side of the day. Good stuff, Arif. Good stuff all. Um, I've got a couple more big Vikings talkers here, in, including something in the lo- in the lines of narratives. I think through 15 games, most people have made up their mind, you know, in kind of generalities like Kirk Cousins clutch, defense bad, special teams rejuvenated. Um, But when you dig into it, sometimes we can kind of decide things early in the season and then we don't change our opinion as the season goes along. So is there anything through 15 games that you think needs to be debunked about the Minnesota Vikings? Are there narratives that you find to be untrue or maybe have changed over the course of the season? Um, Arif, this feels right up your alley. I'll let you kick us off. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, I, I think I, I'm going to have to, you know, double dip because the first narrative is that the defense doesn't change, right? That the defense is is stodgy, that Dad Donatel doesn't know how to adapt to his personnel and stuff like that. We just saw that change. That's really important. The defense obviously has some personnel issues on the back end, but we've seen how this defense can perform better once they change. I think also narratively, it's important to recognize that this isn't just a Justin Jefferson team. I still think he's the team MVP, especially if we kind of separate, you know, how important quarterbacks are in terms of team MVPs. But, you know, it's not just a Justin Jefferson team. And I think that seeing kind of especially that middle stretch of the season where Jefferson went off, the team was winning games because he was going off. We've now seen Players like K.J. Osborne step up and have tremendous games. Players like T.J. Hawkinson step up and have tremendous games. We know that Adam Thielen has come in, uh, you know, really important late in games. Um, You know, this, I think, has a lot to do with as much as Kirk Cousins' growth as a passer over the course of the year and his familiarity with the system as it does with Kevin O'Connell's, you know, capacity for using some of these players in more advantageous situations for them. But 
Um, this is not just a Justin Jefferson team. Now, if he's gone, this team is in a bad spot. But if teams decide that they're going to do what they did at the beginning of the season, double cover Justin Jefferson, they're going to be hurt a lot more than the Eagles and the Lions were um, when when they decided to take away with double or triple teams Justin Jefferson. They're now options that the Vikings are capable and willing to use and have now been proven in usage uh, that will enable that passing game if you just give players like Osborne, Thielen, and Hawkinson that kind of space. And, you know, Dalvin Cook has done pretty well with the ball in his hands as of late too. Mm-hmm. Alec, what do you got? Yeah, it could go a lot of ways with it. I mean, I just talked about Daniil Hunter a little bit. I think that's one of them that early in the season there was a lot that's of – a good one. It seemed like rhetoric around Daniil Hunter struggling. And, I, I mean, I remember talking to Mike Smith, the pass pro specialist, about that, and he's like, look, man, it's like everyone looks at stat, at sacks, excuse me, and, and, and they make their judgments off that. But Daniil on film looked to be showing up – and. He was chipped a ton. He was doubled a ton. So the fact the numbers have started to show up of late, I think that's that's one of those. I mean, he's been pretty active all year. He's also coming back from that injury that he suffered last year. So I just I think Daniil's play all season and production is is one of those narratives. I, I, the other one I think, and I wrote about this too. KJ Osborne for for weeks, I think people were like, "Oh, we expected this KJ Osborne breakout. It's not happening. Is he not good?" And I, I, and I mean, obviously he went off against Indianapolis, but I think a lot of it is, I mean, when you have a guy like Justin Jefferson who, who demands the type of targets that he does and you bring in a guy like TJ Hawkinson who, who has the kind of gravity that he does, KJ Osborne's just not going to be the number one option in every single pass play you run. I think often he can dictate coverage in a way that, that helps those other guys. And he was selfless enough to do that. So um, I, I, I think, using the numbers that K.J. Osborne has posted this season as a way to say, you know, he's, he hasn't broken out, he hasn't taken a, another step, I just don't think is is a fair narrative. Um, so th- those are the two that I've thought about recently. Yeah, Osborne at 474 right now per game, 31. So he'll end up with about 550, a little short of last year, but probably more receptions as well than last year. So he's he's been utilized a similar amount. Tom, what do you got? I just want to look at that fraud narrative because obviously it keeps coming up looking at point differential and DVOA and all these different stats to show accurately that the Vikings aren't putting teams away that like, how could you continue to get this close to the wire? I think, you know, like uh, Patrick Peterson said, we know we're living on the edge. They have to be aware of that after the Colts game, even after this result against the giants. But I think, I think you're a fraud team if you get to the playoffs and all year long you've said, we're building calluses, we're getting used to pressure. These games feel like playoff games. And then like Washington blows you out or something and their Giants blow you out. I think so long as they do what they probably will do, win a close game against an inferior team. And even if one of the big three (laughs) just blows them out of the water, I'm talking like, you know, drop kick kind of looks like that Cowboys game. You can call that fraudulent. I'd say surprise surprise the minnesota vikings in the first year of the o'connell regime that was 500 the two years before can't compete with one of the top three teams in the nfc now granted i know it's a watered down nfc but can't compete with one of those guys i don't think that's fraudulent i think that's just a realistic look at where that team is i do think there's something too they've been here before they continue to deliver they're more comfortable in this situation certainly like the idea that you had something buried underneath these two 500 teams and a new coach could bring it out of that has been true. And I think that debunks the straight up fraudulent narrative. 
I would say before before Sam, before we get to you, yeah. A, can you hear my brother's dog just going off in the yes. background? Okay, he's reacting B to what Tom is saying. I <laughs> know. <laughs> <laughs> I I I I genuinely have a question though. So to me, I don't think that this is evidence that this is a fraudulent team if they get blown out by one of the top three teams in the NFC. My question is, does it seem like a fraudulent team if they lose a close game against a nominally inferior team? They hit a close game again and they lose it. That feels like a fraudulent team, right? Again, yes, that's what fraudulent. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Fraudulent is defined by our expectations. If our expectations is that this is going to perform like a traditional 11 or 12 win team, I think that is fair to maybe call them fraudulent. Um, but that does not mean to say that this is a failure at the first year of the Kevin O'Connell era. Sorry, Sam. Oh, that's okay. I was going to jump on that too. I mean, I think winning one playoff game gets you in the same spot where every Vikings playoff team has been for 35 years. 1987. That's the last time a Vikings team won multiple playoff games. Oh my How'd that go? God. 1987. Um, and if you, nah, it didn't go great. So <laughs> if you get to the <laughs> NFC championship game, if you win two playoff games, you are already in rarefied Vikings air. You are not a fraud. If that happens. Um, I think if you win one playoff game and then lose massively, you might be a fraud. Um, if you win one playoff game and lose close, I don't think you're a fraud. Like, I think it's very subjective, uh, you know, to use that word around any playoff team. But I think that based on fans' expectations, they want to see a competitive playoff showing, and you, they want to at least see this team beat the teams they're supposed to beat. Uh, my, my narrative was that the offensive line is, like, massively improved. I'm not sure it is. Uh, pressure rate through uh, 15 games last year, 33% this year, it's at 37% allowed. So Kirk Cousins is getting pressured 4% more often on a team that throws it the third highest percentage in the league. Sack rate is up from 4.8 to 6.9. Um, anyone going to jump in with a nice there? Nope. Okay. Uh, and he's gone from 11th <laughs> to second in total pressures faced. Sam, Sam, I just want to say I I trusted your uh, what's the opposite of growth? Uh, yeah, developing yeah. immaturity. I've trusted your maturity. developing immaturity over the years to be able to do that yourself, and I'm glad that you delivered. Uh, this is this is a coaching <laughs> point, and uh, you've executed well. Maybe the most sophomoric thing that I've ever done on this show. So, <laughs> sadly, might be true. I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm not convinced about this offensive line, even though they have like some unbelievable pieces. Brian O'Neill and Christian Derrissaw are unbelievable. Ezra Cleveland seems improved. Garrett Bradbury is a league average center this year, and they have one guard who's bottom of the league. It still seems like the line, like even though the pieces individually are great it doesn't feel like the overall performance has matched that. And I, I don't know where the flaws are necessarily showing up. I can't figure out like where all the cracks are, why this is happening, why Kirk Cousins is taking so many hits. I just think it's less of a narrative because Kirk Cousins has been a little more agile, a little better under pressure, and he always gets up after the hits. So we kind of gloss it over, but I do think it's a problem. And I think against a team like San Francisco, they could really be exposed. All right, we've got a little bit of time left. Packers week. Packers uh, Sunday, 325. I think it's a national game. 
I assume this is a Jim Nance game on CBS. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pack, and the Packers need to win. The Packers have won three in a row. They obviously have to win the rest. They need some help from Washington, who plays the Browns, I believe, at home. Early Packers thoughts, gentlemen. Uh, Alec, what do you think about this Packers matchup? Yeah, I think it's going to be a really fun game, um, to be honest with you. I, I also think, if I'm not mistaken, the Packers are favored by four points. I think I mm-hmm. saw that earlier this week. So that is a, a consistent theme of the Vikings being underdogs in a way that probably fuels some motivation. But no, I mean, I think it's going to be – I mentioned it earlier, Joe Barry's um, – we could call it interesting decision-making in week one in terms of how he attempted to defend Justin Jefferson. I'm, I'm interested to see how they try to um, counteract that. I also think this Packers offense in terms of what's, what, what Christian Watson's been able to do of late and some of the pieces they have offensively, there seems to be a little more, not a little more, a lot more trust and fluidity between their pass catchers and their quarterback in a way that I think poses – some different problems um, to this Vikings defense. So I, I mean, I, I, I expect a close game that, that is uh, wow. I expect a close game really, really going out on a limb at this point in the Viking season. Um, but I, I expect it to be fun. I, 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 I think this is a, it's a fun matchup. Nice, nice test. And uh, yeah. I would agree. It is a nice test. And this would again be, like one of your better road wins of the year behind Buffalo. This, this suddenly looks like a, a formidable opponent who's won three in a row and a quarterback who's highly motivated and is going to the hall of fame. Uh, Arif Packers thoughts. And again, we, we defer to the national writer to tell us if the Packers are it's actually legit in, point. in this three game winning streak. Like you're making fun of me now. This no. Is, this is rough. Well, I mean, yeah, you, you did defect and you, you left us here. You no longer sit next to us at the games. Cause you're on your, your high horse back at home watching whatever red zone on eight different TVs. They, but... the, the Vikings won't let me bring four screens to the games. That's the reason why. Shame Chris Thomason brings a printer. You can't bring, you bring the heater. Okay. But are you going to say no to Chris Thomason? I think there's a difference there, right? <laughs> Reef listens he's, he's to instructions. That's the difference. Convincing yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, uh, I I left so that Alec Lewis could could learn to fly on his own. I think that you know taking the training wheels off is the is the best way. Uh, obviously, <laughs> it was it was a grateful move. grateful. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, okay. So I'll say this: so the Vikings have actually only been underdogs four times this season. Now, one of them, obviously, the Buffalo Bills. Uh, they won that game. The other three games are there are three multi-score losses. Um, I don't know that being an underdog is all that like is is like oh the Vikings are like beating these odds you know Vegas doesn't believe it's only happened four times and three times Vegas was I'm not going to say right because they got blown out and that's not what the spread says but Vegas was correct on the valence of the game right so um, I'll say that but the Packers are not real. <laughs> like uh, I, I don't think that you know this three-game winning streak means much. Two of them are against you know teams that don't mean very much. You know, like with the Rams and the Bears, they're not very good teams. They don't really mean a lot in terms of being able to pull together some wins against them. Now the Dolphins game is really interesting. The Dolphins are a very good team. Also, uh, three picks. I, I think in that game was three picks from Tua Tagovailoa. Um, one of those picks obviously was like a receiver miscommunication. Either way, none of those picks to me look like they were like pure, you know, skill expressions, right? They, they all look like they were mistakes from the offense rather than, you know, uh, products of the defense. And so I just like, 
you know, when I talk about sustainability a lot, you know, I talk a lot about, you know, turnovers, defining games and how that's hard to repeat and stuff like that. The Packers wins are a really good example that more so than the Vikings wins. The Vikings over the past couple of weeks have shown me more to make me believe in them, despite these one score games than the Packers have. And so to me, mm-hmm. you know, the Packers stringing together these wins doesn't mean very much to me. I think Aaron Rodgers is still playing, you know, pretty poorly, whether or not that's a product of, you know, his inability to trust. I don't know what the reason is, but, you know, that defense isn't very good. Um, their, uh, their capacity to produce turnovers is not going to be consistent when they go up against the Vikings versus against, you know, a team that is willing to just throw directly to linebackers and defensive backs. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't see this as, as a game where, um, the Packers win streak and, and you know, kind of the Vikings history of, of, of close games really means anything. I think that Vegas probably has something, you know, here, right? You know, the Packers are probably getting one and a half to two points because it's home field. But um, the, I, I, I just this is a game where I'm probably going to go against, you know, that trend there and say that the Vikings are more likely than not to pull it out. I think they're just a more high quality team. They've got higher quality players um, at key positions if we assume that Rodgers' decline is real. And so far, it looks like it is. Interesting. Yeah, most interceptions since 2010. Not good on third down, not good in the red zone. Tom Schreier, Vikings or Packers, if you're a betting man, which side would you be on? No, I think it's the Packers. I know that sucks to hear because there's this like there was this temptation before the Packers, as we said, went on this kind of weird three game win streak that this could come full circle. Right. The Vikings held on all year long and kind of scraped by with this weird janky anxious team last year and and the Packers just said goodbye right and Cousins uh missed that game it, it would seem about you know like we knew the conclusion what would happen um and I think the Rams had functionally eliminated them from the playoffs anyways the week before um it did seem like you could you could maybe close that circle this year and say hey let's you know the Vikings go beat the Packers and put them out of their misery but um uh, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong, Arif. I think you're right. Like Rodgers is declining. I still think he has chemistry with two good receivers now, and he didn't have that in the beginning of the year. Um, the, the Packers have a lot to play for, and if there's any tone setting they want to have, you can set the tone by winning. I don't. Again, I don't think this is going to feel like Philadelphia or Dallas, but it could feel like Detroit, right? Detroit set that as kind of their Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. That was a very meaningful game, packed house. Um, you know, the, they talked about the standing room only in Detroit. Um, I think this is going to feel like Lambeau Field, both in terms of temperature and um, their fans and their expectations. Um, and this just feels like a setup for something disappointing because uh, because it's played there because the Packers have something to play for and because the Vikings, as we have been saying all year long, have been squeezing by teams. And I don't know if that formula works against the Packers in those conditions. Yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued to see how Kirk Cousins fares in a cold weather game like this. I know he's played a couple in Chicago uh, in recent years that they've won, but they won really ugly. Like last year in Chicago, Kirk Cousins was abysmal and Justin Fields was just a little bit worse. Uh, but but the passing game had nothing going on that day. And Kirk Cousins technically got a win. He didn't really earn it himself. I want to see how he fares on a team with this high of expectations going into Green Bay, how he looks in 32 in rain and, and wet conditions, because it's going to be sloppy. How is he going to hold up? I think that's a pretty big storyline. Like Buffalo. Um, Buffalo. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Great point, Alec. Um, I don't know how I forget about like the greatest 
Vikings game of all time, but I uh, I forgot about it. We just Alec, saw another one, man. Alec remembers <laughs> because they make they make you stand outside outside the locker room, so you like leave the press box, walk outside, and then walk outside. And I saw Alec for some reason you did not bring a coat, and you had a shiver that I thought your soul just leaped leapt out of your body. Like that's how Alec remembers the conditions of those games. Is that I, I had a co- I had a coat. It wasn't big enough. It wasn't big enough. But yes, I will yes. say I will say this. I I only said we had like, a spring Buffalo, coat. I did, I, he was styling, yeah, no, man. He looked, he looked like a Southern gentleman. I, I, I did not want to derail Sam's point. I just, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Kirk sailed two balls in that game that were picked off, and it was cold. That was the only reason I brought it up, not to be absolutely mm-hmm. roasted for my lack of winter attire. Hey, Missouri really is the South, but huh? I'll take it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, gambling update. I know the Lukes are gone, but Arif, just for your, for your sake here, all that matters in our contest is that I don't stage a miraculous comeback because it's the loser who gets punished. And I did not, I somehow I, and I texted you guys late because I, I made a mistake last week. I did two over-unders, blah, 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 blah. I had to change it. I changed it to Browns against the saints. I took the Browns spread terrible idea i've been betting against deshaun watson the whole time i thought well that i was betting with my heart i'm gonna bet with my head i don't like a dome team going to play in cold cleveland and i regretted it so massive miss on my part uh i'm still in the hole arif you went two and oh no i believe i went one and one i mean i'll take two and oh yeah no i went two and oh you're right yeah yeah, yeah, no you didn't you lost on the line (laughs) (laughs) so i've got two weeks left to come back and i have to get basically every single bet Correct. Uh, we end the show with our party fouls every week. The biggest faux pas of the week. Uh, let's run the animation for that. It's time to tell you who spilled their proverbial drink on the sofa. Get ready for this week's party foul. I feel like Schreier is sitting on a good one. I just, I don't know why, but I just feel like he is. It's a really, really good one. I'm going to steal this from Alec Lewis from from the elevator. I hope, Alec, you know where I'm going with this. But um, I jump into Kirk Cousins' press conference late. So you have to kind of make a decision when you're covering the team. Do you stay in the locker room, get quotes from the players, or do you go over and, and you know, listen to whatever O'Connell says and, and uh, Cousins says? So most of the players had gone. Jump into the, the press conference with Cousins. I'm sitting in the back, and I see our buddy, uh, intrepid reporter, Chris Thompson, cruising down the, the seam of the, uh, the uh, press conference room, sits in the front row, which he notoriously does, and Cousins does yeah. miss him when he's not there. He di- Cousins will admit it. He, he misses Chris Thompson when he's not there, uh, shouting questions at him, even though he's like two feet away from him sits right next to Kirk Cousins' son. It was the funniest thing I've ever seen. Like, cousin, Kirk Cousins' son was sitting by himself, probably proud of his dad, big game, speaking in public. You know, this this superstar player with uh, apparently his mother's fashion, wearing his mother's fashion or whatever. He picks out her clothes, uh, Cousins' clothes. But his son's just sitting there innocently, and you just see Chris Thompson plop that's, down that's, right next no, to him. No, that's amazing. What, like, what, what? How can you follow up seeing your father do the most he can, essentially a star player right now, than to see the only brighter star in the room yes. come up to you and sit next to you? Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Just what a great day for that kid. Big time. Big time. Uh, he was in Chris Thomason's aura, like right in the aura. Yeah. That was great. We love Chris. Um, my party foul for the week. I'm still, it's still stuck in my craw. Jalen Naylor. 
he could have downed the punt at the one yard line. Why? Why do punt gunners crash in to the football? It that's one of my big pet peeves of special teams is when that happens. Um, he got, comes in like a bat out of hell. He knocks the ball in the end zone uh, and ruins Ryan Wright's touchback streak in addition. So that's a big party foul on Jalen. Do better. The announcers, I think, also screwed up talking about Ryan Wright because they were like, yeah, this is his best punt of the game. And it was like, no, I mean, you missed the Jalen Naylor. He had a bunch of good punts in the game. It's just like the first one wasn't good, right? And so they've just been talking mm-hmm. about it. Like <laughs> struggling all game. <laughs> what are you talking about, man? It was really weird, um, You know, which uh, could be my party foul. Uh, but instead, my party foul is one that just popped up on the timeline just now. Um why is Condoleezza Rice like always involved in these football conversations? So it was just released that the Broncos are asking Condoleezza Rice to assist in their head coaching search. Now I know that she has football chops. I'm not saying that it like it doesn't make a ton of sense. There is something there, right? Because she was on the college football, you know, search committee. She's always been deeply committed to college football. She, I believe, was like the provost at Stanford or something like that. And she had a particular interest in football. I'm not saying that she's not qualified, right? Um, what I'm saying is why always her, first of all, um, like there's a lot of qualified people. And second, uh, we're going to get a little bit political here. Uh, why the war crimes person? You don't, you don't have to get the war crimes person. Just get not the war crimes person to assist in your head. It's a head coach search. There's like six candidates, right? Like, you know, like, there's not that complicated. You don't have to look that deep. Like you don't need to pay Corn Ferry. You don't need to pay Condoleezza Rice. This is not determining which of like the six teams should go to the playoff. Like which of the four out of the six teams should go to the playoff or anything like that. Using a number of uh, of series of statistics and errors. It's just like you just got to do like six interviews. You're fine, right? I'm not saying head coach searching is easy. I'm just saying that like Corn Ferry and Condoleezza Rice are not going to make it any easier. And uh, and you're just wasting money for no reason. So that's like my party file is like. Connolly's Rice is like always involved in these for like no reason. Uh, for political takes, visit the Wide Left <clears throat> podcast featuring Arif Hassan, the Wide <laughs> Left podcast. Most of is us that's... agree it's war crimes now. That's all I'm saying. Is that still being produced? That podcast? Uh, no, we haven't. We haven't recorded in like two years. But yeah, I mean, check out. We might record a new episode. Who knows? Okay. Hey, it's evergreen. <laughs> it's all evergreen. It'll bring Alec politics. Never changes. Yeah, it's all the same. Yeah. Uh, Alec, party fouls. Uh, I was I was going to bring up the Broncos and and the fact that they named their interim coach as Jerry Rosberg, the guy Jerry that Rosberg. Nathaniel Hackett brought in to be his game management guy. But really, I'm just it, it's just you you have a Giro Evero as your defensive coordinator. This guy who what a top head coach well candidate. <laughs> yeah, like like arguably the best head coaching candidate this cycle. He's right there. He is in your building. He is right there. He's he's young. He's respected. He's been around. I know he's very close with Nathaniel Hackett, but, like, this guy's going to be a head coach. And I just don't understand why you go with the game management guy that you brought in um, during the middle of the season. I just – Ajiro Everett deserves – Sean Payton. Deserves, Sean Payton's coming. I, I, so, I will, yeah. I will say this. It did sound like they may have asked him, and he may have turned them down. I'm not saying that's a source report. It sounds like that might have been the case, in which case it's a little bit more reasonable that they, but still Rosberg joined in like week two, right? If I'm remembering that correctly or week three. Right. I believe, yes, there was, there were some Nathaniel Hackett gaps in week one that said 
yeah. <laughs> the internet ablaze, and then they yeah. they brought in. He's like, oh yeah, yeah. They like, did what you they did what you have to do. Bring in Jerry Rossberg. Yeah. Uh, anyway, no, I, 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 and I do think there is something. Maybe Ajiro Evero didn't want it. Maybe, it, maybe thrusting him into that situation where you lose a couple more games looks right. bad. Yeah, upon. I mean, there, there, there's a lot of el- there, there's a lot of elements to it. I just this guy deserves to be a head coach, and so I just I don't know the fact that it was Jerry Rossberg. It was this this Broncos situation. It was pretty emblematic, I think. Well, like yeah. Sam said, when you reach out to Sean Payton, you can say, "Don't worry about the interim. Uh, you just don't worry about it." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, lame duck. So, Arif, you'll be back with us on Thursday as we really Incredibly. dig into this Packers preview. We'll see what comes out of the Vikings facility the next couple of days, and uh, make sure to comment on the YouTube video, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We're free and available. Locked on Sports Minnesota. Uh, for Tom, Alec, Arif, I'm Sam Ekstrom. Saying so long on the Minnesota football party.